thank you, Pastor Zach. So uh, it's good to be with you. You may not know it to look at me, but back in my college days, I played both soccer and baseball on our college team. Uh, and of course, anybody who's involved in any athletics, any game of any kind knows that you have to agree upon the, the ground rules. I mean, is, is there no blood, no foul? Or are we gonna have to follow what the league says you do with what's legitimate or what's not? So there are a couple rules actually as we get started, I wanna make sure that we all agree to. First of all, even though we're gonna talk about LGBTQIA plus matters, what I wanna talk about as far as a, a, a posture that I think all of us can take in whatever field we're going into in life can apply to any issue that anyone is tempted by, identifies as, struggles with, is judged by others about. It's not just the sexuality thing we're gonna talk about even though that's the, the context in which I'm gonna be talking, okay? And then second, there can be a tendency to think, why do we need to do this? Uh, in my role, I, I get the privilege of overseeing free Methodist pastors and churches in all of Nebraska, Kansas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, and parts of Missouri and Texas. And I was at one of our larger churches going to speak on this issue. And a well-meaning person in the congregation emailed me beforehand and said, why do you even need to come? Nobody cares about this. I flatly reject that assumption, by the way. In fact, just a quick little survey. How many of us know someone who would identify as LGBTQIA+. I'm gonna guess just about every hand in the room will go up. These are people we know and we should get to know better and have as friends. It's not just a topic. I think about things like, well, immigration. That's, that's a hard thing to talk about, but it can be easily reduced to just a, a policy that we make, but it's not a policy. Immigrants are people who are a blessing to the community, who want better for their children, just like everyone else, who work hard and are looking for a better life. You can't reduce things down to topics, and we shouldn't do that with LGBTQIA matters either. In fact, I wanna introduce you to three people, three friends of mine. They're not really here, and I've changed their names, not that you would know who they are, but just to highlight it's real. This is Marie. Marie is someone I met at a coffee shop when I was a pastor up in Lansing, Michigan. I was meeting with a person in my church. I saw another member of my church sitting with a woman I didn't know. He said, hey, Pastor Bruce, come here. I wanted to introduce you to someone. I walked over and he said, hey, this is Pastor Bruce. I shook her hand and she said, hi, I'm Marie. I'm a lesbian agnostic Jew. First words out of her mouth. Marie became a dear, dear friend of mine. And she asked me at one point, how can you be my friend? Because Marie was the director of the National Association of Social Workers. And Marie said that the Christian Social Workers Organization had pulled out of fellowship with her organization because of how loudly she banged the drum for same-sex unions and same-sex rights. How can you as a Christian be my friend? I said, well, Marie, we're not trying to plan a joint worship service. And the agnostic Judaism would be a problem with my orthodox free Methodism. But we both believe that the hungry should be fed, the homeless should be housed, sex trafficking should cease. Why wouldn't I wanna be your friend? I love Marie, even though we don't agree on everything when it comes to sexuality. Second person is, is a pastor, I'll, I'll call Marty. I have several pastors I'm blessed to walk with. Marty fully understands their denominational's position when it comes to same-sex marriage, but yet they wrestle with how do we show love to all persons? Marty wouldn't put it in so many words, but I believe it's 100% true that they would say they would rather be rejected for who they're trying to love than be loved because of who they reject. Is there room in my denomination in my church, in my context, in my community, in my business, wherever, to be open and accepting and trying to love 
while recognizing there are certain family rules that we agree to live by. Then the third person is Jerry. Jerry was a student of mine back in grade school. It's been a year or two. Jerry didn't act like all the rest of the guys and like children can be. We were mean to Jerry. Pick on him, call him all kinds of names. Just treat him as different. One of the things that's great about social media is you can connect with people you haven't talked to in years, can't you? And I remember a couple years ago, seeing on Facebook that Jerry had committed suicide because he had been picked on and abused for his homosexuality. These aren't just facts on a page or concepts in a lifestyle statement or things we wrestle with in an ethics class. These are, these are real people that we should know as our friends. Now let me be clear about another ground rule. I believe this strongly theologically. Being gay is not a sin any more than being straight is a mark of holiness. Just because someone is heterosexual does not mean they're honoring God with how they live. And in the same way, just because someone is homosexual does not mean they're not honoring God. Sexuality has more to do with how you live and what, I mean, your, your, your relationship with God has more to do with how you function, what you do, how you love one another, how you respond to God, how you pray, how you act, than particulars about you like skin color, athletic ability, intellectual ability, socioeconomic background, sexual identity, what you do with it, that's what matters. And you might not agree with that, and that's okay, and this could be confusing in part because we might disagree on, on scriptures. But then again, the scriptures are confusing. Here, I'm going to give you the easiest quiz you will have all day. I'm going to ask you questions, and I'll tell you right now the answer to everything is yes, okay? So think, though, about how confusing the Bible can be. In the Bible, it talks about God being the alpha. That's the first letter of the Greek alphabet. God is the beginning. But it also says that he's the omega, the last letter of the Greek alphabet. God is the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. But which is it? Is God the beginning or is God the end? And the answer is yes. It's both. You can read about Jesus, that he is the lion of the tribe of Judah, this victor. But it also tells us that he's the lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. So is Jesus the lion or is Jesus the lamb? And what's the answer? Yes, exactly right. The Bible will talk about uh, various issues. Like in the first uh, very words of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, he announces that the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here, it's now, and yet just a few verses later, he teaches the disciples to pray, thy kingdom come. So which is it? Is the kingdom here or is the kingdom coming? And you know the answer. The answer is yes. In the Ten Commandments, we're told thou shalt not commit adultery. But yet when confronted with a woman who is caught in the act of adultery, what does Jesus do? He tells those who are without sin to cast the first stone. And then he tells her, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. There is grace and there is truth. It's both. It's both. The Bible Nowhere teaches women how to be more feminine or womanly, however you might define that in your culture. The Bible nowhere teaches men how to be more masculine or manly. This idea of biblical manhood is not biblical, it's cultural. Instead, the Bible constantly teaches women and men how to be more godly, 
How do you look and live more like God, depending on how you identify, how you live, where you're at, your backgrounds? How do you honor God with who you are, not with who culture tries to make you to be? What does God say about you? How do you do that? Our concern should always be to bring people into the likeness of Christ, not the likeness of what we think their gender roles should be. Now, let me be clear once again when it comes to one last rule with terminology. When I talk about people who are gay, I'm just referring to how you uh, are sexually attracted. People who are attracted to people of the same sex doesn't mean they're acting on it any more than the heterosexuals in the room are always acting on their sexual temptations. No, it just means I'm tempted this way. But as you likely know, our Lord Jesus was tempted but did not sin. That says to me that temptations are not sinful. It's what you do with them that matters. I spent a lot of time praying and studying about ministering with LGBTQIA plus persons. And I've come to the conclusion that what the Bible says about whether or not homosexuality is right or wrong is not the best starting point. That might sound odd, I'm a, I'm a pastor, I'm a preacher. But I don't think the world is in need of more dogmatics. I think instead of the world needs a place where it can simply find the answer. Those in darkness need the light. It's always better to light a candle than to curse the darkness anyway. And I believe strongly that the light of the world is Jesus. So the question I think for any of us who are trying to serve any people in any place where we work is how do we respond as Christ would have us to respond? It's not a matter of hating the sin and loving the sinner. It's a matter of loving the sinner, period. I, I, I love the Latin phrase, ti voglio bene. It literally means to you, I will the good. This is what I think each of us should strive to do when it comes to trying to look and live like Jesus. Do you want the best for somebody else? Do you truly want them to be blessed? Do you look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others? No way do I think that means we ignore or condone sinful behavior. Never should we set aside the scriptures. In fact, I think we should be more biblical. But part of that means recognizing that the Bible teaches the Holy Spirit convicts people. I'm a preacher, I'm a pastor, I'm a teacher, I might be a counselor, I might be a friend. Nowhere do I see that it is my job to be your judge. It's not my responsibility to push people out of the story that God has invited them into or to set certain steps for inclusion that God does not set. And you can think of many stories in the Bible that illustrate this. They always front with grace. They always demonstrate compassion forgiveness, whether it's the prodigal son or the woman that I already mentioned caught in the act of adultery, the calling of Levi, the tax collector, going to the house of that wee little man Zacchaeus. The Bible consistently shows God as more pained by the consequences of our sin than angered by them. God is more than willing to forgive. That posture is important for us too. You can think about Romans chapter 2 verse 4, which tells us, don't you realize that God's kindness is supposed to lead you to change your heart and life? To me, that means the question that we have to have when addressing matters like this is, does Jesus love them? And if the answer is yes, then I know what I'm supposed to do too. Through my kindness, reflecting, reflecting the kindness of God, we help others change their heart and their life. Doesn't always happen. A couple years ago, there was a survey conducted that asked non-Christians, non-church attenders, what they thought of Christians. And the number one response was God hate, is, is that Christians hate homosexuals. How can we who follow Jesus ever be seen as hating anything? Explain that to me. How can we make anyone feel unwelcomed? 
unsafe. The body of Christ should be the safest, most welcoming place. The place you worship is called a sanctuary. It's a safe place. God meets you where you're at and he doesn't leave you there. I think about a popular course that I've heard in a lot of the churches that I visit. We'll sing, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. Maybe you've sang that yourself. You might have sang it yesterday. I've talked to enough people, though, who identify as LGBTQIA+, that would say any glimmer of guiltlessness, any sign of fearlessness was outside the walls of the church. It was not within it. How has that happened? How is it that so many people who purport to represent the solid rock actually become sinking sand? And their dogmatism and their lovelessness swallow other people's attempt to grow in faith. Where have we gone wrong? I mentioned before that apologetics, it can't be the whole argument. In many ways, our task is to lead people to Christ and to discovery of the living God. Apologetics, explanation of doctrine, clear guidelines, they do not convert anybody. Now, I believe strongly doctrine matters. What we teach can point people in the right direction by removing barriers to, to an encounter with God, or they can open a window through which Christ can clearly be seen. Apologetics is about enabling people to grasp the significance of the gospel to your life today. Whatever field you're going into, it matters. It's about pointing and explaining and opening doors and removing barriers. Yet what converts is not apologetics. It's the greater reality of an encounter with God in relationship with us. I think in the Old Testament, where Samson's father Manoah is told by the messenger of God that he's going to have a son, that son will be a deliverer. And Manoah says, well, what do I need to do to raise the son the right way? And the angel won't tell him. Manoah is asking for the facts. What are the things I have to do to make sure I follow this and get this right? And God simply says, you don't need rules, Manoah. You just need to be in a relationship with me. He's only shown God's glory. Draw close to me. Everything else will take care of itself. Well, you think about John chapter 1, verses 45 and 46, where Philip finds Nathanael, says to him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law and the prophets, Jesus, Joseph's son from Nazareth. And Nathanael responds very famously, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip says, well, come and see. Having encountered Jesus from Nazareth, Philip is convinced he's the one he's hoping for. Tries to persuade Nathanael that he's the fulfillment of the hopes of Israel. But Nathanael's skeptical. He raises that objection, you know, come on. Can a person from Nazareth be like that? Can a person like that, can someone with that temptation, orientation, struggle, history, criminal record, grade point average, fill in the blank, can a person like that really? But instead of meeting his objection with arguments, Philip invites Nathaniel to meet Jesus and decide for himself. Could have gotten to detailed apologetics. Phillips could have argued that Jesus' origins in Nazareth represented the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. He could have set out the various factors that led him and Andrew and Peter to follow Jesus in the first place, believe him to be the culmination of all the hopes of Israel. But Philip has learned that an encounter is preferable to an argument. Why argue with Nathaniel? Well, there's a more direct and appropriate way to resolve this. So Philip just says, hey, come and see for yourself. As I think and pray about what kind of women and men you are and you will become, I don't think the best approach is to try to simplify it by using a label. Labels, I think, are excuses for relational laziness. If I tell you what political party I align with, you'll make certain assumptions about me for better or worse based on what you think about it. 
If I tell you I have a PhD from a major Catholic university and was taught by the Jesuits and Franciscans, you'll assume certain things about me, for better or for worse, based on how you feel about Catholicism. I think then, perhaps we ought to simply be come and see sort of people. Come and see how we at Central Christian College of Kansas love each other, or how we don't. Come and see how we view one another as sisters and brothers, or maybe how we fall short of that and treat each other more as projects. I don't think as you go into the world and serve and live and play and have children and raise and influence the next generation, I don't think you need to try to tell the world what kind of Christian you are. I'd prefer that you just invite them to come and see. And they might learn what kind of father of Christ you are by how you love one another. That, to me, is the hope for the world. That's my hope for each of you. Thanks for letting me share for a few minutes. I look forward to answering questions with Pastor Zach. Dr. Cromwell, thank you. Thank you, thank you so much. Um, this has been an interesting issue, even this morning. Mm -hmm. Topic this morning, even in this room, there is, <laughs> there, there, it's been very fascinating thing to sit in this room this morning and listen to this and listen to some of the the murmurings behind me, the the amens that happened at different points, and what you were saying, some of the amens were, um, were man, they were appropriate. They were, I think, what Jesus wants for His church. And then there were amens that I'm like, oh, you don't, you've bought into something that's not Jesus. Um, you you mentioned there was this quote, this thing you said, and I wrote it down because I think, um, I I, I want to land there, and I want to spend some more time. You talked about how they, sometimes you see in the church steps for inclusion that God doesn't set. That sometimes within Christianity, within church, that we have certain things that you have to do this, this, and this, and, and there are things that we made that God never made. Can you talk more about that? Well, so I, all of us come from some background, some family. I'm going to guess, even with the holidays coming up. You think of Thanksgiving or Christmas, my, my hunch is your family may have certain traditions you do. Things that you'll always eat on Thanksgiving dinner. We open presents Christmas Eve and we go to Mass, or we always do this at Grandma's house on Christmas Day. We all have, we know what family traditions are, and if I was invited to your house for one of them, I, of course, would be expected to honor your family traditions. Um, the same thing is true for colleges. Central Christian College has certain things that as a family we've agreed we do. So if you invited me to your house and said, please take off your shoes, and I just said, I don't, I don't take them off in my house, so I don't take them off in yours, I'd be a total jerk. Of course I'll honor you and I'll respect you and I'll do it while I'm in your house, even if I don't do it in mine. The church, I think it's okay to have family rules, colleges, you all may not agree with everything you're asked to do or not do as a student of Central Christian College, but you're, you are asked to respect the family rules while you're a student. That's part of maturing. I think the problem that churches have is we start saying, you are bad if you don't follow, as opposed to saying, if this doesn't align with who you feel you're called to be, 
then may God bless you, you can go somewhere else. We're not drawing a line in the sand and kicking you out, but we recognize we sometimes mistranslate or misunderstand Paul's comment to be all things to all people. I've yet to be in a church that could reach everybody because we're either not charismatic enough or you're not liturgical enough or you're a little bit too progressive or you're way too conservative. But each of us responds to culture and community in different ways. I think the key is to recognize that when it comes to your eternal life, the only question is, what do you do with Jesus? Have you accepted that Jesus is Savior and Lord and that he paid the price for your sins? Because I really believe in the end, if we're separated from God, it's not because we're sinners. <laughs> I mean, all of us have sinned. But I believe that my sin has been atoned for. The only question is, do I accept the, what Jesus did on the cross and receive it, or am I self-righteous and trusting in myself? So when we start saying Jesus plus anything, that's a problem. When we start saying, hey, if you want to be a part of our community, this is how we live, part of that is just common courtesy. And then you, but you give people the freedom. If they don't choose to live that way, you're not a bad person. We'll just help you find a place where you will fit in that community better. We tend to conflate the two as if both are necessary for salvation. And the reality is, I believe each of us is made in the image of God. I believe that God loves this beautiful tapestry of the human race with lots of cultures and languages and approaches to life, and we need that. We shouldn't be homogenous. We shouldn't all look the same. Part of the beauty of a college experience is you get exposed to different ideas and you start to wrestle and understand and syncretize what you believe but you understand where we're coming from here. I, the fact that I'm talking about being a Christian institution isn't a given for everyone, but it's part of who Central is. You understand that. Whether you choose to follow it when you leave or not, it's up to you, but you have that right. And I think in our churches, we need to give people the right to wrestle with God and either be a part of it or choose not to. May God bless them, and hopefully they'll find a place where they can grow. Yeah, so you, you even mentioned... So there's the way a church lives and functions. Yeah. But then there's Central Christian College, and we're not a church. No. Right? We're an academic institution, but there are some, hey, take your shoes off kinds of expectations. Yeah. Can you talk to that a little bit? I, I realize that you have you sit up here with multiple roles, that you are you're a follower of Jesus, you're a superintendent, you're a pastor. Um, you, you're also, you happen to sit on the Central Christian College Board of Trustees. So you also... Um, have that, and I don't assume to believe that you're speaking on behalf of all central governance, but can you speak to a little bit about the way central is different than a church with issues of LGBTQ plus stuff? So in the Free Methodist Church, of which I represent, uh, our pastors are not allowed to perform weddings of same-sex couples. A same-sex marriage cannot happen in one of our churches. That's just part of our polity and our, and our particular view of what we would say is God's plan for human sexual activity. But we're not saying that everyone has to believe that. We're just saying in the Free Methodist Church, this is what we believe. So that if you wanted to be Free Methodist, you would know that's part of who we are. We're not going to hide it. We're not trying to bait and switch anyone. A college doesn't have the same sort of expectations, I think, on everyone when it comes to what you believe. Again, part of what you have with your professors who are so good and gifted, each and every one of the women and men who serves you, loves you and wants to stretch you. And so there is this place where you're challenged to think about issues that maybe you've never been exposed to before, to see the world in a way that I've never seen that. I, I've never understood it in that way. 
I mean, even in your classrooms, I expect if you have open dialogues, you realize we all don't appreciate or, or understand or approach these things exactly the same, because we have very different views on, on how history is related to this or how you approach this, or even when it comes to countries and how we view the United States, well, not all of us here are US citizens. So we don't expect everyone to have to respond like one. There's a beauty in diversity. And so a college, by definition, is trying to help you learn and stretch and grow. A church is a little bit more closed in that we have certain ways that we're choosing to grow together. And you can be a part of it or not, because there's lots of great churches. I hope all of you are involved in some sort of faith community in McPherson or in the area. There's a lot. I guarantee there's one you'll fit in. And so my prayer is that you're in a place where you feel like I can stretch and grow here. I can meet God here. God can meet me as I am here. It may not work at this church. I may have tried it and I felt a little, eh. but I hope at Central, you're free to ask questions and not be judged because of the questions you ask. But you can help find some answers, work through those issues, and know that people will love you and respect you and guide you into a proper understanding. Because, you know, we, we might be wrong but you're in a safe place where you can ask and find out what's right. You said a couple things and I wanna connect them um, because there was a connecting moment for me as I was sitting out there listening. Um, you said a couple things, you encouraged us as an institution to be, um, to demonstrate what it looks like to follow Jesus so that we're a come and see people, come and see um, how people at Central Christian College follow Jesus. Come and see what that looks like. So you said that. Sure. Before you said that, you quoted a study, uh, a survey, and you said that the number one thing that people in, the, in that survey, the number one thing that people in the world um, thought of Christians, thought of followers of Jesus, is that God hates homosexuality. And there was an audible amen in this room to that statement. So I, I'd be interested for you to help connect those two things, to say, come and see how we follow Jesus. And the evidence this morning that we gave of how we follow Jesus is amen in that statement. We'll, 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 we'll shift off sexuality to maybe something that's not necessarily less controversial, but is a little easier to talk about. Uh, because same-sex marriage is legal, so people aren't illegal or not breaking laws when they get married. They're not. Uh, if you're over 21, it's legal for you to drink alcohol. But there's family rules at this church, at this school, I should say, where we choose not to do that if you're part of the family. Does God hate alcohol? I would say no. And alcohol is amoral. What you do with it matters a lot. You shouldn't drink if you don't drink. And, and this is my own little soapbox. If you don't drink, don't start. Because nothing can destroy a family more than alcohol abuse. And if you do drink, please drink in moderation. But even I come from a tradition where the, the running joke growing up is you don't drink, smoke, chew, or date girls who do. I mean, so we were pretty puritanical in the way we lived things. I've occasionally had people ask me if someone smokes, will that keep, keep them out of heaven? And my joking response is, no, actually, it'll probably get you there faster. Um, you know, cancer and all that stuff. But anyway, we make a lot of rules. Cancer jokes are classy. Cancer jokes it, yeah, just yeah. always go over really well. Yeah, yeah. So it's not, it's not. <laughs> but... No, I, I mean, I think there has to be this sense of, I don't believe that God hates anything. 
I think God has clear rules on what is appropriate for your life. And so I have two sons. Uh, my oldest son turns 20 today. And uh, thank you. He is a sophomore at the University of Kansas. And so uh, he's real excited for his next birthday. You can maybe try to figure out why. You know, my younger son is 15 and is a sophomore here at Mac High. And there are certain things that my wife and I, and many of you know my wife, who's Dr. Cromwell in the religion department, uh, we try to raise our sons with certain things that we believe. We try to protect them from things that they don't understand can be very, very destructive in their life. I think God does this with the boundaries. The way I like to explain it is, well, let's say this stage, it'd be a really bad basketball court, but let's say this was a basketball court, but it was also 500 feet in the air. And so we would put a fence around the outside because nobody wants the ball to fall off that thing. And, you know, you don't want people to fall off either. That's a problem too. But if I'm playing, I mean, many of you are basketball players and know this far better than I. If I'm playing basketball well, I really don't care where the sidelines are, the out-of-bounds lines are. If I'm worried about going out-of-bounds, I'm probably not setting picks and rebounding and passing and hitting the glass and shooting three-pointers like I should. If I'm playing the game, I'm in the court. The boundaries are there to keep me from going off. I think God's law is like that. I think the rules we have at a church, at a school, at any business are like that. The boundaries are there to keep you safe. Can you go outside of them? Sure. But it's dangerous. And I think this is why God gives us God's laws and why God has statements about sexual activity. I mean, you all know, as students of Central Christian College, if you're engaged in sexual activity with someone you're not married to, there are consequences. It has nothing to do with heterosexuality or homosexuality. It has to do with the sexual ethic of what the college says are family rules. If you're under 21 or even over 21, you're drinking on campus, there are consequences because we have a certain family rule. It doesn't mean God hates it. It's just this is how we choose to live and how do we model that? Love does not mean license. We've all heard that. And this is a trick. How do you love people while still having boundaries? That's the key because I think the, the statement Christians hate homosexual homosexuals has to do with how we've responded to the LGBTQIA people more than having a position. In fact, of the studies I've done, and maybe some of you will disagree and I'd love to talk to you about it, but in a lot of the research I've seen with persons who left churches, people who would identify as LGBTQIA+, who have left churches, would say they would come back not if the church changed their position, but if they felt that it was safe to do so and they wouldn't be treated like a pariah. It's not that they're mad that we have a statement that they may not agree with, it's that we treat them like they're worthless and they don't matter. That's the issue that I think it's okay to recognize God has things that are wrong. We have 10 commandments and a lot of other things the Bible tells us on how to live. Those shouldn't be thrown away. But we should try to discipline, redirect, grow, stretch through love. Not out of hatred or punishment. It should be out of love. So it's our posture that matters more than our policy. Superintendent Bruce, what would you say to LGBTQ plus um, individuals who would be in the room this morning? Well, you said it earlier. I, I think uh, LGBTQI people are not needy, they're needed, just like anybody. We need married people who can show us how to raise children 
uh, in a world that so easily dissolves uh, and has single parenting or, I mean, God bless the single parents in the world too. I don't know how they do it. I don't, I can barely function as a dad. Thanks be to God, I have a wife who carries most of the load. Uh, but we need examples in all of our areas of life. We need people who see the world differently than we do uh, so that we can be exposed to things we wouldn't be exposed to ordinarily. We need the, the multiplicity of languages because English is crazy and it's not very specific in some ways. And even when you look in the Bible, the original Hebrew, the original Greek, there is a beauty there if you understand Hebrew and Greek that you won't get in any English translation. You have to understand the culture and the language to really appreciate all that's going on. So for the LGBTQIA person, it, I would hope that any of you would recognize that first, that Central is trying to become a safe place where you can be loved for who you are. And yes, we have certain family rules that you may feel like don't fit you. Well, that's okay. We just ask you to take your shoes off while you're coming into the house for a few years. And when you choose to leave, if you choose to do something different, we will still be grateful that you're a Central alum. And we will be proud that you represent us in the kingdom well. We hope that this will be a time that helps you grow and get what you need to go out into the world and be a good businesswoman, a businessman, a professional, whatever you do, that you'll look back on these years that I was able to grow and understand a little bit more about myself. I saw people who accepted me for who I was, not for who they wanted me to be. I had people meet me where I was at, because that's what Jesus did. Doesn't talk to Nicodemus the same way he talks to the woman at the well. He meets people where they're at. And so I hope we can do that too, that we feel safe enough that I can be honest and not worry about how will I be judged? How will I be laughed at, condemned? Um, that we can be just honest and have conversations and grow together. Uh, thank you. Thank you for, for being here with us this morning. Thank you for being willing to engage um, what is such a, an electric issue in our culture. People have really strong feelings all over the spectrum about it. Thank you for coming and demonstrating grace and truth. Um, Superintendent Bruce, would you mind, as we close this morning, praying a blessing, praying a prayer over our campus as Absolutely. we dismiss? Absolutely. Thank Let you. me pray for you all. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for each one that's here, created in your image and your likeness. May we all grow to follow your ways, to walk in your will, and to live for your glory. For the ongoing good work at Central Christian College, we pray your blessing. For the faculty, the staff, the administration who serve selflessly, Thank you for each of them and for the ways they help us process and grow. For each one this morning, Lord, whatever we think about this issue, if we even think about it at all, may we just think of all the ways we talk about those who struggle with anything, who identify as anything, who are tempted by anything, and may we figure out how do we help meet that with grace and yet speak truth into the life where maybe we could help. I was realizing also maybe we just need to listen. So more than anything, Lord, may we all have ears that listen to your spirit as you prompt us. May we be faithful to follow. May we trust you. And may we truly be women and men who are known by our love. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who with the Father and the Spirit is one God, now and forever. Amen. <laughs>